covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. The Brewers continue to play very good baseball. They had a good week this past week. They sweep a four-game series from the Chicago Cubs. First time that they have ever done that, and they take two out of three from the Pirates. We are recording this on Sunday night, and the Brewers lead in the division, continuing to sit at eight games off on Monday before they get set for a week. They'll have a three-game series on the road against St. Louis, and then a weekend series coming up against the Washington Nationals. Before we go any further... Our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And uh, if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, can subscribe, leave a ranking, leave a review. That would be fantastic as it helps more people uh, certainly find this podcast. Hope you've been enjoying, by the way, for folks that maybe can't uh, catch the postgame show on the radio. Hope you've been enjoying that we have been uh, podcasting the uh, the post-game shows here on this same uh, podcast feed uh, on an every-night basis. Uh, I, I always enjoy when people are listening in real time because I like the interaction. I like the tweets. I like the texts. I like the phone calls. So hopefully there's not too many people out there who are staying up late uh, to, uh, to listen to the post-game show who have given that up and instead are listening to it the next day. But, uh, yeah, either way, glad that uh, more people have access uh, to that show. That is certainly a good thing. Our featured conversation this week is with Vinny Rotino from Bally Sports Wisconsin as we welcome him back on to the podcast I, I you know generally I try to have like a a main thesis a main point here at the top of the podcast before we get into our interview and look right, right now the main thing is just that the the Brewers continue to just play good baseball they're a good baseball team and they continue to play good baseball I think that's I don't think we talk about that enough that they're a good baseball team that they're a good baseball team because uh, I, I made a, I, I did a thing on Brewers Weekly this past Thursday. I made a joke, uh, and it was after the Brewers had just completed the four-game series sweep of the uh, of the Cubs. And I wasn't trying to call anybody out specifically, and I wasn't trying to say that anybody was wrong because trust me, I can I can be wrong as much as, as the next guy. There's 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 nothing wrong with just being wrong. Now sometimes if you are wrong in spectacular fashion and and you are coming to your opinions for crazy reasons that's something else but there were there were people after the giant series that were freaking out that were freaking out the reds were on a little bit of a run and the brewers were having the covid issues and i got i got messages from people on that sunday saying that the reds were going to catch the brewers in a week which was mathematically impossible at the time, I think. Uh, if it wasn't mathematically impossible, it was pretty darn close. And it was I was telling folks to kind of just, just pump the brakes. And I think something that we forget sometimes, because you get you get so focused on what else is going on. You get focused on the Reds making a little bit of a run. You get focused on the fact that the Brewers were impacted by COVID. Uh, you get focused on the fact that Aviseo Garcia made a mistake in right field that he will probably only make once 
in his entire career, and that cost the team a game. Like, you get focused on those negative things, and the the right thing to do is to take a step back and go, this is a good baseball team. This is a good baseball team. This is the best baseball team in the National League Central. Look, the Reds are eight games back as I record this on Sunday night. It is not mathematically impossible for the Reds to catch the Brewers and win the division. Same thing with the Cardinals. And the Brewers and Cardinals are going to play a million games in the final six or so weeks of the season. Tons of games between these two teams. And the Cardinals are coming on. Cardinals on a six-game winning streak after their win against the Royals on Sunday. They have won eight of their last ten. They are absolutely in contention for the wild card. That's I'll get to that in a second. That's another thing that's not being talked about, but hold on. Uh, yeah, so I'm not saying that the Brewers absolutely have this thing locked in, but they, but they mostly do. The Brewers, I think, are going to win the NL Central, and I know every time I say something like that, there's people out there that just cringe and think that I am challenging the baseball gods, and I don't think I am. And if something crazy happens, well, then you can play this podcast for me over and over and over and off to try to make amends somehow, some way uh, in the future. But we're not focused on the fact that the Brewers are a good baseball team. They're a good baseball team. So even if there's a stumble, even if there's a speed bump, look, you look at all these games. I've I've long said, this is well on record, I have long said that the two best teams in the National League Central are the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals. I know what the Reds have done, and I give credit to the Reds for putting together the season that they've put together. Maybe they still finish in front of St. Louis. The Cardinals just got Jack Flaherty back. Miles Michaelis is going to be back. They've got the their, their middle of the order with their two big guys in Arenado and Goldschmidt. That's as scary of a middle of the order as any team in baseball. When you talk to just a, a couple guys, a one-two punch, that's as good as it gets. Uh, so I have long believed that the Cardinals and the Brewers are the best two teams in, in this division. Now, when the season got started... I didn't really know which one was better. I, I didn't know if it was the Brewers or the Cardinals. I thought it was going to come down. I thought it was going to be close. I, I was obviously wrong on that based off the way things are going as the Brewers uh, are running away with the division right now. But the point I'm trying to make is the Cardinals are really playing for something right now. They are in wild card contention. They are on a roll. Look, there's, there is a chance that the Brewers can go play some pretty good games and end up losing some games to the Cardinals. And if that happens, it happens. That's why you build up such the uh, such the divisional lead as they've been able to uh, to build up. So even if they don't have a great series against St. Louis this week, I'm still not going to be worried. I'm still going to stand by the fact that this is a good Brewers team and they are going to continue to win enough games to be able to do what they need to do to, uh, to roll into the postseason. I did think it was just absolutely remarkable. Remarkable. I've used that word so much this year. Absolutely remarkable what they were able to do against the Cubs. And for the Cubs and that teardown, I mean, that was just a full-scale teardown to win the final two games of that series, 27-4. to That, uh... I think Brian Anderson said this on one of the, uh, on one of the TV broadcasts of the, the Brewers-Cubs games. The Cubs should never be doing this. They print money at Clark and Addison... I'm not. I'm not saying that they need to be winning the division every year and always be World Series champion or contenders, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, BA's right. They they should never 
they should never have to just go through a full-scale teardown and become just a shell of a Major League Baseball team. That should never happen with the Cubs. It's kind of fun that it is. And, of course, you remember so many really, really, really bad years uh, for that organization. And I'm sure in some form or fashion they'll end up rising again. But the with the resources that they have, that should never happen. And it is. And we'll see what they do this upcoming offseason, but it's not real clear on when they are going to start being able to uh, to contend once again. If you're a Cubs fan, I, I don't know if you feel like the front office and ownership are kind of honoring their, their commitment to you, if that may. And I'm not real close to that situation. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but it just, eh, it, it, that, that shouldn't be happening. It's kind of fun. It, it, not kind of fun. It is fun that it is, but it shouldn't be, right? Can we can we kind of agree on that? So that's uh, that's the way things went. The Brewers just absolutely destroyed them. Uh, close games for for a couple days. Uh, a doubleheader after a postponement, and then uh, that they were able to win both games of a uh, split doubleheader, and then they uh, just took care of business in the final two games of the series. All right, uh, we will get to our featured conversation this week. He is a uh, studio analyst for Bally Sports Wisconsin in his first season uh, working uh, for Bally Sports Wisconsin. has worked as a uh, professional scout, former Major League player, including time uh, with the Brewers. He's a Wisconsin guy through and through. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed being able to get to know him a little bit more. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Rotino. So, indeed, it is uh, Vinny Rotino who is joining us here on Brewers Extra the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Vinny, thanks so much for the time. How are you? Absolutely, Matt. No, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, let's uh, let's just kind of start with the the current state of the team as they just take two out of three from the Pirates. They're playing good baseball. They're winning series. They were just absolutely dominant uh, against the uh, Chicago Cubs. I found it interesting. Uh, Pirates manager Derek Shelton, after uh, the game on Sunday, was asked about the Brewers, and he said that he absolutely believes uh, the Brewers are one of the two best teams in the National League. I assume he was, you know, putting them in there with the uh, with the San Francisco Giants, but. From what you've seen and the the additions they've made, bringing in Eduardo Escobar, just what the pitching has done, do do you agree with that? Is this a, is this a top two team in the National League right now? You know, at first, it's not that I was a doubter, but at first when I was watching this club, I'm like, yeah, this is a really solid team. The starting pitching is obviously carrying this group uh, to a really good record. The offense had always been sputtering. But now they've got a complete lineup, and they have guys stepping up in the bullpen like Brad Boxberger and Devin Williams is proving that he was no fluke last year. Um, you know, and then you got you know contributors up and down. You know, the pitching staff with you know Eric Lauer and uh, you know Adrian House. I mean, talk about a complete team getting contributions from a lot of different pieces. Not a whole lot of you know. You know, I guess glamorous names or, or, or real like sexy names, I guess you would say. You know, in the, on this club, but, um, I mean, I think that will change obviously with the starting pitching going forward. In you know, going into next year and, and years to come, of as, as you know, rising stars on this in the league in terms of the, the big three, um, and obviously 
you know, Christian Yelich not really being Christian Yelich, you wouldn't really necessarily think that this is one of the top two teams in the league, but man, they are. They really are a big believer now in this club, especially after the way that they played against the San Francisco Giants. That San Francisco Giants team was really impressive to me. Their lineup, their pitching staff, um, just the way that they played the game in general. And, and the Brewers could have not easily swept them, but they could have taken all three games from the, from the Giants. Yeah, I, I'm a believer in this club. Um, you know, I, I would put the Dodgers in that conversation as well for the best team in the league. So um, it is going to be fun to watch this club here going down the stretch. Their their hitting has gotten a lot better. You mentioned kind of the roster depth. I was thinking about this when when Travis Shaw got uh, picked up by the Boston Red Sox, and he he really struggled after a hot start for the Brewers. But I was thinking to myself, there's a lot of teams in baseball that have room on their 26-man roster for for a Travis Shaw. Maybe not as a starter, uh, maybe not as a guy that plays a ton, but somebody who can play first and third, somebody who can uh, drive in some runs, somebody who can do a lot of things for you. A vast I don't know if it's a vast majority, but there's a lot of teams in baseball that would absolutely have room on their roster for a Travis Shaw. The Brewers didn't. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Daniel Vogelback moving forward. It just really feels like, especially after Eduardo Escobar showed up with the emergence of, say, a Jace Peterson, this roster, from a position player standpoint, um, is as deep. It might not be as top-heavy as some of those teams. You, know, you mentioned the Dodgers, and obviously there's some big-time stars there, and there's some other teams that maybe have a more top-heavy uh, roster. But from a depth perspective, it doesn't get much better than what the Brewers have. It really doesn't. And the fact that, you know, Jace, you mentioned Jace Peterson. He could easily be an everyday player at this point with the transformation that he's made to his offensive game, the ability to drive the ball, the ability to, to discern ball from strike. Um, and he's really developed into an everyday player, and the fact that he can move around the field. I mean, he's like a Ben Zobris at this point. Um, you know, obviously not a switch hitter, but um, he's that type of utility piece for this team, and he doesn't even play. Uh, I mean, and then, you know, Luis Arias is just pounding the baseball lately, and he's, you know, kind of not a part-time player, but he's got it. Council has tough decisions to make every single day as to what lineup he's putting out there, which is a really good problem to have. But uh, you, yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, the depth on this club, and it's like you said, it's not the big star names yet. But I mean, perhaps we do, we do see um, that coming for some of these guys like Rowdy Telez in the future. Still young players. I mean, really brilliant moves. Obviously, Willie Adams can be in that conversation as well going forward in the future. But some really brilliant moves by uh, David Stearns and Matt Arnold here all season long, not just um, you know at the deadline. I mean, the, the two big moves are for me are Adams and Roddy Telez, uh, and and then obviously Escobar was the, was a big move at the deadline. But yeah, I mean, the depth is just incredible, and that's going to be very very helpful. Um, you know, keeping guys fresh and obviously going into the playoffs, being fresh and, uh, you know, pulling matchups, that's huge as well. I always enjoy talking to you because you spent a lot of time working as a scout, and part of a scout's job is looking at the skill set of a player and, and kind of projecting 
whether or not they can be successful, but maybe more importantly, whether or not they can be successful and to sustain that success. So let's talk about Rowdy Telez and put your uh, put your scouting cap on for just a second. The success that he's having right now, and maybe the gaudy numbers don't uh, don't pick, uh, you know continue on, but the overall success that he's having, hitting for average, hitting for power. When you look at his profile, do you feel like this is a guy who can continue to do that in the long haul? I mean, the, the raw skill set, the, the hand speed, the bat speed, the short swing that he's got, um, again, it's not an all-or-nothing type approach. He reminds me not of this caliber, but his approach and his swing reminds me of Prince Fielder. I, 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 I just went out on a limb and said that, but I'm just talking about the, the shortness of the swing. Prince had the shortest swing. Prince was a hitter first that hit bombs. And this is Rowdy Telez. He's a hitter first. He prides himself on being a hitter first. He prides himself on being able to have that really good quality at bat type of approach. And then if you make a mistake, that I mean, he can he can leave and go into the Allegheny River like he did against the Pirates, right? So I mean, or hit it off the top of the scoreboard like he did at Amfam Field a couple of weeks or last week. So I mean, this guy's got the skills and the tools and just the overall package to be that kind of offensive player. I don't – he's proven it last year. Well, 30-game 30, 30 sample size that he did it last year. He's gotten out of the shadow of, uh, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. He's now with a club that, you know, th- that winning mindset of this club, that, you know, win first, what can I do to help the team win, that, believe it or not, that elevates – your individual performance when players think like that and he's learning how to think like that. I see success from this kid. I love this move, this acquisition. I, I do see success. They believe in him, right? So the ability to let, tra- you know, cut Travis Shaw loose. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with Daniel Vogelbach. Don't want to speculate something similar might happen there because I believe this is how much they believe in Roddy Telez. And uh, I- I'm a believer. Is there anybody better in baseball than David Stearns in making under-the-radar moves that have a profound impact on the club? He did it with Adamas, and he seems to be doing it with Telez. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I Last game I worked for Brewers Live pre and post, I sat next to a really well-respected front office person right next to, uh, you know, as they were scouting a game, he's now a scout Uh scouting the game out for a different club, not going to mention his name, but man, we were talking about what a great job Stearns has done with this club year in and year out. And this year, I mean, the moves have just really, really come to fruition. Um, both those moves, really the, the, the Willie Adams move obviously turned around the season. I mean, you didn't have a shortstop. I think, I think without that move, I think Pablo Reyes would probably be playing shortstop right now for the Brewers or someone that could, you know, at least play some defense. I know Luis Reyes really struggled there with his throws, kind of turned it around over at third base. Um, yeah, so that move and then obviously the Telez move, I think it solidified the production from first base um, since, you know, obviously Keston here couldn't turn it around and figure it out as of this year. So, um I'm still a believer, though, but, uh, well, yeah, I mean, the point is, this is, um, the, those two moves, 
under the radar, completely under the radar. They didn't give up much for either one of them, although I do love J.P. Fireisen. Uh, and then I think Rasmussen is a, is a quality arm as well. But um, what a what brilliant moves, both of them. It, it turned the season around. When you look at the Brewers' numbers, like when you look at the game notes every day, there's a big column on the right side of what the Brewers' record is in all kinds of different circumstances. And because they have such a good record this year, most of those numbers are going to be pretty gaudy. The one number, one of the numbers, one of the few numbers that is not great is uh, their numbers against uh, left-handed starters or games where left-handed starters start. They're still above 500, so you take that. They have a winning record, uh, but it's, uh, it's I think, three games over 500 after their win on Sunday. I keep kind of looking at that and keep thinking to myself, this is a really good team, but if there's one area that could bite them at some point – it could be facing a bunch of left-handed starters at some point in time. And we'll see. I, I don't know who, who we're even talking about when you get into the postseason, where that might come. But uh, Eduardo Escobar, they bring him in, and they're playing him at first base against lefties. They're trying to do that to uh, to deepen the left-hand lineup a little bit. Uh, in the postseason, you're probably going to have Omar Narvaez playing against lefties, not Manny Pena. They're using uh, lefty games as an opportunity to try to get Pena in there a little bit. So there, there's reasons to... Uh, to think that it could be better, but are you at all concerned? Is there anything to the idea that this team struggles against left-handers? Yeah, no, I, I would look at that with a grain of salt. A lot of these numbers, you got to kind of dig in and see where, where's the signal, where's the noise, right? I do think there's a little bit of noise in that. Personally, I think I mean, it faced you know, Rodgers with, with the Marlins, who's one of the best starters in the league a couple times, at least two times, three times maybe. I mean that guy's been really nasty all year long. So that's that, and then also, you know, look, they they had a lineup that was completely different, you know, earlier in the year when they faced some of these good lefties. So I don't see that as a concern. Um, um, I, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of noise in that number, but you know, obviously you gotta you gotta somehow you know figure it out against some of these really good left-handed arms when you get into the playoffs. Um, you just gotta, you know, again, I think once you get in the playoffs, all bets are off. You just gotta have to scrape across a few runs and, and hopefully one guy's really hot. That seems to be the theme. That seems to be the narrative in the playoffs every year. All of a sudden some unsung hero gets really hot. Hopefully that's the case for the Brewers. Um, gotta make it there first, obviously, but, um, yeah, no, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I don't see that to be a huge concern on my part. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at that a little bit more, but uh, I don't see it being a huge concern. Craig Council talked about this a little bit on Sunday before the game. Eduardo Escobar at first base. He's never played first before. Now he's he's got a lot of the skills that you need for first because he's played over at third. He's played all over the place. But one thing that is very unique to first base is picking balls out of the dirt. And that's been the area so far that we have seen him struggle. You know, the, even when the air is assessed on the person throwing the ball, those are plays that really good first basemen are able to make and save airs uh, from the throw. Now, it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, when we're looking towards the postseason, you kind of think through, okay, what's you don't want that to be your undoing at, at a really big moment. As somebody who's, who's scouted players, who have watched players develop, how much can Eduardo Escobar improve defensively, specifically on picking balls out of the dirt uh, over the course of the next, say, six, seven weeks? 
Yeah, this one's a little bit weird for me. I don't, I don't like Escobar at first base. I thought he would be fine over there. I, I just, I, I'm, I've seen him, you know, kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, zoo a couple of balls over there that are really easy picks, and he, and even, I believe I, I remember he, you know, even a ball that wasn't a pick, kind of just didn't handle it real well. Like I love Escobar. I, I really like him as a player. I, I think he's got some versatility defensively. I don't like him at first base. I, I, personally, I want um, Rowdy Telez over there. Um, you know, certainly in the playoffs. And then, um, you know, as the season, you know, kind of, you know, as they get into the playoff uh, race and trying to get that number one seed, I do, I do think Rowdy Telez is, is the, the right choice over there. I, I, you know, look, I'm not going to pull any punches on this. I think it's, it's concerning that Escobar is, uh, is not great at picking balls out of the dirt uh, and, and doesn't, have, doesn't seem to have that stickiness to, to his first baseman's mitt that he shows everywhere else in the field, right? Yeah, and you know, uh, roster limits are roster limits, and if you didn't have roster limits, you could just you know put all kinds of extra players on your team. Before Travis Shaw left the organization, my thought was if they find a spot on the roster for him, Shaw would be a really good guy to have on the team who can come in as a defensive replacement late in games, uh, especially at first base, because I thought he was probably the best defensive major league first baseman that the Brewers had. I don't think Telez is bad at first base defensively. I don't think Vogelback is bad at first base defensively. But it, it right now it does not feel like the Brewers have a high-end defensive first baseman. Would you agree with that? You know what? I disagree with that. I think I've seen Rowdy Telez play first base in, in the minor leagues. He's got really smooth hands. He can really do some things. He can turn the 3-6-1 double play, which very few first basemen can do that. He's got an accurate arm to do that. He's got some smooth hands. He can pick balls. I know he missed a pick that was kind of huge in that 14-4 ball game with Brett Anderson on the mound. Uh, so that was, you know, that was rare. I mean, he's made some really nice picks for me. Um, and I just think he's, I think he's got some smooth, some smoothness to how he does it over there. A little limited, right, on, on range. I don't think he's as limited on range as, as Vogelbach. But, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and say Robbie Celeste is a, is a really smooth defender at first base. I love how his hands work. So, um um, but I do agree also that Travis Shaw was probably a little bit better than him over there. It's funny you mentioned the limited range. I like this. This is going to sound weird. You're probably going to disagree with me on this as well. I like first basemen who are limited in range because what scares me is when, when you've got Keston Hero over at first base, what scares me is he's going to go after a ball that the second baseman can get to and the pitcher is going to be late covering it first. Like, and, you, know, you want your first baseman to have a certain amount of range, but to me, if, if the ball's not two steps off the bag, then get yourself back to first base and let the second baseman handle it. That's a really good point. I- you, know, you saw that with Jace Peterson. He hasn't played there a ton, and so he is a he is a rangy type middle infielder that's come up playing middle infield, and so that's where those instincts come come into play when when you get a guy over there, and maybe even Escobar would be the same way. We haven't seen a play like that yet from Escobar over there, but the, you know, yeah, it's one. It, it, it takes some feel for that play, that play that's a little bit in the hole, 
Um, if the second baseman's ball, it's, it's that second, the second baseman has been making that play for a hundred years and they make it look super easy. And that first baseman really wants to go get that ball. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we have seen that play from guys that have been playing out of position a little bit over at first base a couple of times this year. Um, it takes, it takes reps to do that. I used to, I used to play first base a lot. Honestly, first base to me was easy because it was the only position that wasn't extremely hard for me. Um, so I actually liked playing first base like a mental day off, but it definitely takes some feel for that play. Uh, and so I, I agree with you there. So, yeah, I mean, Telez certainly isn't going for that ball. Vogelback isn't, isn't going for that ball in the hole. Um, they know where they need to be. They need to be at the bag. Vinny Rotino continues to join us. It's Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We've seen a small uptick from Christian Yelich. I actually sent a tweet out during the game on Sunday that uh, that caught a lot of attention. Over the course of his last five games, and this is a tiny sample size, but in his last five games, he's 7 for 20, so that's a 350 average. Uh, he's got an OPS at 859, 409 on base, 450 slugging. M- maybe, just maybe, this is him coming out of it a little bit. Uh, do, do you, what do you see from him right now? How much how much substance do you put into his last twenty at bats? Matt, this is, this one has been an enigma all year for me. I mean, I don't see much difference in terms of the swing. I don't see any difference in terms of the bat speed. The timing is a little bit off. Obviously, it seems from the past looks at Christian Yelich, but this is a swing that's not real. What's the word? Um, Sometimes you just look at a swing and like that's poetry right there, right? I mean, you see a Mike Trout, you see a um, you know Rafael Palmero type. I mean, that's not this, right? I mean, he's just it's not that pretty. He just has the ability and the knack to put a barrel on the baseball that you know very few guys can do. We have not seen that version. I take that back. We've seen that version. I saw that version early on in the season before the back. Um, he hit some balls right on the screws, some 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 really good pitches as well. That um, again, you just it's like how is he putting the barrel on the ball? It's like it's almost like he's got he's, he's in the matrix or something and can tell where the the ball's going before you know releases the pitcher's hand at times. So I, but also I, I I think we haven't seen some of those balls leave the yard. I do think the ball is a little bit less juiced. I guess you could say so. Um, I saw that version of Yelich early on. Have not seen him since the back. Um, I and I, I think at this point, like I said, I think it che- the swing checks the boxes. Uh, the, the bat speed is checked out. I mean, there's things that are, that are checking the boxes of what Christian Yelich is, uh, and we're not seeing that. So I can only chalk that up to a confidence thing, right? I mean, you start to, not that he's doubting himself, but you start to you know, question a little bit some things that you're doing up at the plate. That's all it takes, just a sliver of doubt. And all of a sudden, it's just too hard. It, the game is too hard when you have just a tiny sliver of doubt in there. And I think that that's what we see at times from Christian Yelich of, um, you know, just a little bit lower lower confidence at this point. So I don't know, you know, and that's just going to take time. It's going to take some, some, you know, barreling up a few balls that, you know, maybe today that ball gets him back on track, 110 miles an hour off the bat uh, that Polanco kind of misplayed in right field there. 
But maybe that gets him back on track. Um, sometimes that's all it takes is one. But I don't have an answer for you, Matt. Um, a lot of people have asked me this question. I don't have an answer. Uh, I think he'll snap out of it at some point. Hopefully it's this year. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the, the hard hit one. I have to wonder if, because he also had that check swing double down the left field line, and he has hit into so much bad luck this year. Hard hit balls right at somebody, whatever. I mean, it's bad luck after bad luck after bad luck. When when he got the check swing double, which that there was no business that being a double, I kind of thought to myself, is he going to chug into second base and go, okay, I finally got one. Finally, luck went my way, and could that could that impact him from a mental standpoint, kind of going back to what you were just talking about? Sometimes it can, it can certainly happen that way. Um, and here's, here's how it works. Hey, that's exactly right. I didn't even think of that. I check swing double. Then the next one is like, okay, I can just stop, you know, thinking that this game is so hard or whatever you're thinking. At times you just, you feel like you can't do anything right up at the plate. I'm, I'm telling you, it happens to everybody even to the best in the game like Christian Yelich. Um, this is obviously more po- prolonged than, than usual. Um, but he's, he's too talented for him not to snap out of it, and that's exactly how it happens. All of a sudden, y- your brain just shifts to, okay, I- I'm just going to hit now. You know, It literally happens that, like that, and it's something kind of clicks in your brain, and he's, he's a superstar, and he wants – uh, he wants to contribute so bad you can see it, right? You can see it on his face, and he just wants to win so bad. And sometimes you just got to – it's going to sound weird, but you just kind of have to not care as much, <laughs> you know. And that's how, you know, as soon as you kind of think that way, all of a sudden something clicks. It's like, okay, this is how you hit again. All right, now I don't have to put so much pressure on myself or whatever the case. I don't even know if that's what's going on for him. But um, I think he'll snap out of it at some point. Um, And, you know, you're right. Maybe it is that little check swing that allows him to do so. Last thing for you before I get you out of here, you're being very gracious with your time. We've we've talked about Andy Haynes before, and early on in the season there was a lot of criticism coming his way. That has completely quieted up after uh, the team has turned it around offensively. Uh, there was a piece in The Athletic by Will Salmon that was written recently that's really focused in on what the Brewers are doing against non-fastballs. And part of what Will wrote was, the Brewers needed a little bit of time to collect data. You don't want the small sample size. So, as the as the very smart people in baseball, you know, in the baseball information department for the Brewers are collecting that data early on in the season. Eventually, it gets to po- a point where there's enough that they can really present it to to Andy Haynes and Jacob Cruz, and then they can start going from there and working through things. And the Brewers have clearly gotten better at uh, at hitting non fastballs, and that's been a big difference in the Brewers turning things around. Again, kind of putting your scout hat on once again. Can you kind of discuss just that system and what Andy Haynes is doing and the way the Brewers have been able to take the data that they have throughout the course of the year and really mid-season correct in a very specific area, if that makes sense? Yeah, Andy Haynes. I mean, Andy Haynes has done an amazing job. I'm so glad that all all that talk and chatter about how he you know, has been doing a poor job. I mean, he's never done a poor job with this, with this club. What it takes, here's what it takes. It takes trust and buy-in to a system. So Andy Haynes has a system 
Jacob Cruz has a system. I don't know exactly what it is. I, I, I've just seen some of the physical adjustments that some of the guys, some of these guys have made. All you have to do is put a side-by-side video of Luis Arias from last year, Luis Arias from this year. A, a side-by-side video of Willie Adamas from last, from with time of the race to Willie Adamas now. It's glaring. I mean, just from the setup, what Andy Haynes does, I talked to him about this, is he has, has certain guys set up in their setup with their hips stacked a little bit more underneath their bodies, underneath their torsos, instead of angled out a little, a little more, if you can picture that. So he stacks them up like this, and now what he's done with Urias specifically is he's been able to um, keep Urias, his lanes and his sight lines a little bit uh, more clear, a little bit more um, in line with what his body is doing. And this has been able, he's been able to discern ball from strike really, really well. And he's been able to really juice the ball to the pull side, which he has not been able to do in his major league career. He's been elevating the ball. But anyway, to, to, to your point about what, what they're doing, what Will Samus wrote about with being able to handle off speed pitches a little bit better, it, it all has to do with buying in trust, uh, trusting what, you know, you're doing at the plate. Anytime you make an adjustment, you got to, it takes some trust. That's the ball. It, it just, again, it's too hard. She can't be thinking along, you know, while the ball's on its way. So I think the trust and the buy-in factor that Andy Haynes has gotten these guys, also the ability to kind of work with certain guys to their strengths and understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. I think that's what Andy Haynes and Jacob Cruz do a really good job at. Um, you know, the, with Rowdy Tellez specifically, they told him, look, you're taking too many pitches. So they got more, he, they got him to be more aggressive. That's really all they've done. They, and, and talk about the confidence that it gives the hitter. It's like kind of a light bulb that goes off, right? Oh man, I've been too patient. I've been too passive on balls in the zone. So all of a sudden they just told him to, to go get it because you're really good at seeing ball from strike. It gives you a lot of confidence at the plate, right? So um, I think that it's individualizing everything. It's the ability to kind of pinpoint what everyone's good at, and then it's um, and then it's going from there, making adjustments from game to game. Um, you know, so I, it, it's a lot. It's it's really complicated to kind of. I don't really understand exactly what they're doing, but I just know I can speak to the point about how complicated it is and how they're kind of like. Um, you know, combating what pitchers are doing and how they're trying to attack them. He is Vinny Rotino. You can see him on uh, the Brewers Live pre- and post-game uh, shows on Bally Sports Wisconsin. Uh, just has done a fantastic job being added to the uh, TV crew uh, this year, and uh, it's been fun for me to get to know Vinny uh, a little bit uh, as well as we sit pretty close to each other in the press box. Hey, Vinny, uh, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. We will absolutely uh, do this again real soon. For sure. Thanks, Matt. Vinny Rotino joining us here on Brewers X Turnings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. That's just about going to do it for uh, this week's show. A look at the schedule uh, for the upcoming week. The Brewers are going to play three games against St. Louis Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they are going to uh, wrap things up coming up on uh, Thursday in that three-game series. Uh, this is uh, This is a series where, from a pitching standpoint, 
it looks really, really good. It's not quite to the level that uh, that series against the uh, the White Sox was when you had uh, the Brewers going with their three top guys and, and the White Sox pretty much uh, doing the same. But uh, that being said, this is uh, from a pitching standpoint what the Brewers and the Cardinals are going to be able to throw out there. Uh, it's pretty good. The Brewers are going with uh, Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff over the course of the three games. And then uh, the Cardinals have only announced their starter uh, for uh, game one and their starter for game two. And they're going with Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty. We'll see who ends up uh, starting uh, game number three in that series. But Burns, Peralta, Woodruff, Wainwright, and Flaherty being five of the six starting pitchers in a series, that's uh, that's not bad. So it'll be fun to see uh, those guys go at it in what on paper looks to be a pretty good series. You've got two teams that are playing very good baseball set to match up. So that's going to be uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday after the Monday off day. And then the Brewers are back home after a long time on the road. They've been uh, about a week and a half on the road. They'll finally get back home. Uh, for a six-game homestand starting on Friday when they've got a three-game set against Washington, another Monday off, and then a three-game series against Cincinnati before they do uh, hit the road once again. I want to thank my uh, guest, Vinny Rotino, for joining us uh, on the podcast. Always love being able to talk to him and get uh, his insights on baseball. I think uh, it's uh, there's... There's something about talking with guys who are scouts or who have been scouts. I'm a baseball nerd, but I love being able to have those conversations, and I hope you are able to enjoy them as well. Uh, talk to you during the uh, post-game show this week, and we'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.